This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language, mature themes, unhealthy relationship dynamics, and discussion of abusive cultural values, including financial coercion and the psychic alteration of a person's sexual orientation. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 278. Hello, Metamorphs. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorphcity.com. Each week, I bring you a piece of my fiction, available in audio for the first time anywhere. I'll also tell you the latest on my writing endeavors. More on that later in the show. For now, let's get to this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 19 in my Metamore City novel, Making the Cut. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 259 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. Daniel Sharabi had it all. Athletic achievement, good looks, and the love of his life, Rebecca. They were all set to build a life together, to start a breeding cell under the aegis of the Psy Collective. But everything fell apart when Daniel faced his psychic exit examination from Westfall Academy. Daniel's psionic talents were judged by the Metamore Hive to be too weak to be worth passing on to the next generation. In the reproduction-obsessed culture of the Collective, that made him a surplus male, the lowest rung of the social ladder. Daniel was placed in a bachelor cell with other psychic have-nots including Nathan, a socially awkward computer cracker, and Kevin, who is not only low-powered, but gay, a double stigma in a community where breeding is everything. Trapped in this life by his debts to the collective, Daniel was tempted into a get-rich-quick scheme by his sparring partner, Victor. But Daniel's foray into the criminal underworld ended in disaster, as he inadvertently caused the deaths of two of his oldest friends. Daniel ended up back where he started, but he did make a new friend in the process. The androgyne runner, Evan and Ava Selindi. Selindi pointed out a different solution to Daniel's problem. Rather than trying to buy his way out of the collective, he could increase his value within it. If Daniel were to take the curse of Metamore and become an androgyne, he would be able to do the one thing the collective wants more than anything— giving birth to the next generation of size. But Daniel wasn't sure if he could handle transforming into a woman just to fit in better in collective society, especially since he isn't attracted to men. Selindi pointed out that the curse itself will help with this, but Daniel remained leery. After all, the curse can't be undone if you decide you've made a mistake. Still, if he could make it work, the curse might be the answer to all Daniel's problems, Selindi persuaded him to give their idea a test drive, taking a potion that would temporarily mimic the effects of the androgyne curse. 
Daniel transformed into Danny, and Ava took him out for a night on the town. They both overindulged and got themselves into a bit of trouble on the dance floor when their supercharged androgyne hormones led them into a very public makeout session. Later that evening, Danny took the very tipsy Ava back to his apartment, where he let her sleep off the alcohol in his bed while he took the couch. Making the Cut A Novel of Metamore City Written and read by Chris Lester Chapter 19 Danny awoke the next morning with the sort of throbbing headache that could only come from hangovers or closed head injuries. He wasn't entirely sure which was to blame until he rolled over onto his new breasts, which verified that his hazy memories from the night before weren't some kind of trauma-induced hallucination. Further evidence came in the form of his sultry red dress, which was hanging over the top of a nearby chair. With a soft groan, he dragged himself off the couch and stumbled toward the bathroom, looking for something, anything, that would stop the pain in his head. The bathroom door was locked when he got there. He jiggled the handle a few times, then muttered a curse under his breath. Be out in a minute, someone called. The toilet flushed, and a moment later he heard the sound of water running in the sink. He sat back against the wall with a whimper and wrapped his arms around himself, wincing at the persistent drumbeat under his temples. He had a brief mental image of Chagok dancers inside his head, but the pain was too great for it to keep him amused for very long. The door opened and Kevin came out. Sorry about that, I don't mean to... He broke off abruptly, his eyes widening as he noticed Danny. Oh, um, sorry, he said awkwardly. His eyes darted to Danny's bedroom door, which was open, then back to him. I didn't realize Daniel had company over. I, um, I, Danny fumbled. He wasn't even sure how he intended to finish the sentence. Coherent speech failed him, and for good reason. Kevin was wearing nothing but a pair of boxers, and his well-toned abs and hairless chest drew her eyes like a magnet. As Daniel, he had seen Kevin like this countless times, first in the locker room and then in their apartment, but his sleek, masculine beauty had never affected him like this before. He felt a twinge of disappointment at the fact that Kevin was gay, and he found that more disorienting than anything else he had yet experienced as a woman. Kevin put a finger to his lips and moved over to Danny's bedroom door, reaching for the handle. His eyes fell on the empty bed, and his expression grew confused. He turned back to Danny, narrowing his eyes in thought. They widened a moment later as realization struck him. Daniel? he asked, looking deeply surprised. Danny winced and put a hand to his head. Not so loud, he muttered. The Chagok dancers inside his skull recruited a few new members for their drum circle. Sorry, Kevin said, lowering his voice to a less agonizing level. 
He looked back into the room, then down the hall to the living room. Danny could imagine him taking in the evidence in a manner of seconds. The dress, the rumpled sheets on the couch, the discarded shoes and stockings on the floor, the purse sitting on the coffee table. When he turned back to him, his gentle brown eyes showed equal measures of sympathy and amusement. Too much fun last night? he asked. Danny groaned and rubbed his temples. I need a painkiller and about two liters of water, he said. Or, barring that, a shotgun. I'll mix up a dose of hangover potion, Kevin said. Did you, um, want to put something on while you wait? Danny looked down and flushed. He was still wearing the underwear Ava had brought him, and nothing else. Good idea, he said, flustered. Excuse me. He went into the bathroom, shut the door behind him, and walked over to the mirror. He took off the underwear and focused on changing back to his male body. Nothing happened. Oh, please, no, he muttered. He tried to think masculine thoughts. He tried imagining his male body, with its muscular chest and powerful arms and legs. The image in his head morphed into a picture of Kevin, and he found himself growing aroused. Damn it! he shouted, then wished he hadn't. As he held his head and waited for the ringing in his ears to subside, he thought back over everything Ava had taught him last night. They had discussed switching back, but he couldn't recall if the androgyne had said anything about how to do it. If we'd been sober last night, we probably would have thought of that. Sighing, he put the underwear back on, then added a t-shirt and boxers for modesty's sake. He would have to ask Ava how this hot-swapping business worked at the earliest possible opportunity. The androgyne was long gone from the apartment. The only sign that she had been here was the bed itself, which had been made up with an unusual degree of care. Kevin waited for Danny in the kitchen with a mug of steaming brown liquid. An empty packet of over-the-counter potion mix sat on the island countertop. He took the mug gratefully and pulled a stool up to the island, which doubled as a breakfast table. He took a sip of the potion, then another. It tasted like apples and rose hips, with an undertone of spearmint. By the time he took his third sip, the throbbing in his head had diminished enough that he could stand to hear the sound of his own voice again. Thanks, Kev. I owe you one. Any time, he said, leaning back against the counter by the sink. He had pulled on a loose-fitting t-shirt while he was waiting, for which Danny was grateful. With no telepathy, Kevin was as off-limits to him as Ava was, and adjusting to his new body was difficult enough without the distraction of Kevin's godlike physique. Godlike physique? Prophet help me, I really am far gone. So... Kevin said, raising an eyebrow at him. Was this a practical joke, or did you lose a bet? Danny grimaced. Neither, he said, blushing. It's more of an experiment, actually. Kevin pulled up a stool and sat across from him, resting his chin on his hands and his elbows on the counter. An experiment? Danny nodded. It's sort of a trial-sized version of the androgyne curse. This time, both of Kevin's eyebrows went up. Aren't you a little old to be thinking about taking the curse? 
the adjustment's a lot harder at our age than it is before puberty. Believe me, I know, Danny said, rolling his eyes. But I... I think this may be my only chance of really finding a home in the collective. Kevin frowned. And that's acceptable to you? he asked. Daniel, believe me, I understand where you're coming from. Even if my powers were stronger, I'd always be an outsider in the collective because of my orientation. Now, I could ask the psi-therapists to rechannel my personality, to change my sexuality so it'll be more in tune with what the Hive considers appropriate. But that isn't me. I am who I am, and I'm not going to change for them. What you're talking about is even more drastic. Danny winced and took another sip of the potion. You think I don't know that? I think you're losing perspective, Kevin said. I told you it would be hard work to build a life for yourself outside the collective, but in some ways that would be a lot easier than what you're suggesting. Why are you giving up on that? I'm sure you could find a nice teep out there who wants a monogamous relationship. Heck, look at Dell and Josephine. Please don't bring them up, Danny whispered. Kevin's eyes mirrored his pain. I'm sorry, he said quietly. I don't mean to be crass. He was my friend too, you know. Danny nodded, but said nothing. Still, it proves my point. There are good women out there who don't want what the Hive is offering. But that's the thing, Danny said. I don't want to give up on what the Hive is offering. Look at what's happening to Joe and her daughter now that Dell is gone. They were in trouble, and the Hive gave them nothing because they weren't an active part of the Collective, even though Dell died for them. He looked down at the mug in his hands. I don't ever want that to happen to the people I love. I want the Collective to protect them, and take care of them, and make sure that they never have to worry about food or medicine or a place to live. Maybe someday the Collective will be generous enough and idealistic enough that they'll help anybody who needs it, but we're not there yet. He looked up at him soberly. And we're never going to get there if everyone who disagrees with the way things are done just leaves. Kevin looked at him for a long moment. This is still about Rebecca, isn't it? About being with her. Danny shrugged. She's the only person I've ever loved. We've known each other our whole lives, and she's always been the one I loved. This last year, living without her? He shook his head. You don't know how hard it's been. I can't stand the thought of going the rest of my life without having her there with me. Even if I'm her... her co-wife instead of her husband, at least I could be with her. And being with her is that important to you? Kevin asked. Important enough that you'd become a woman. Be the mother of Brian's children, just so you can be near her. Danny swallowed hard. That's what I'm trying to find out. I don't know if I could... love a man. I mean, I know my body is attracted to them now, but I don't know if I can deal with it in here, he said, tapping the side of his head. He looked down at his mug for a moment, then back up. But if I can... And that's the price for being with Becca? Then that's what I want to do. Kevin looked deep into his eyes, and Danny wondered what he saw in them. Finally, unexpectedly, he smiled, shaking his head. You are in love with her, 
He nodded. Best of luck, then, Kevin said. Don't get me wrong, he added, off Danny's surprised look. I still think you're crazy. But being in love is one of the better reasons for insanity that are out there. He smirked. There's something weirdly noble about it, actually. Thanks, Danny said, rolling his eyes. Seriously, Kevin insisted. He reached across the table and took his hand. If there's anything I can do to help, just let me know. At the very least, I can give you some tips about dating men. Danny just laughed and nodded. His circle of romantic advisors already included a sex-changing shapeshifter. He could use all the help he could get. And that's the end of chapter 19. Come back next time, when the Summer Cell goes looking for outside help to reclaim the Syndicate's package. Napoleon Hill said, Goals are dreams with a deadline. So, let's see how well I've met my goals this week. It's time for the weekly writing report. This update covers the week of February 27th through March 5th. I wrote 2,103 words this week, over the course of 2.5 hours for an average writing speed of 841 words per hour. As of Friday night, I've gone 320 days without breaking my chain. Looking back at the month of February, I wrote a total of 18,361 words in 25 days, averaging 734 words per day. That ranks 30th out of 70 months since I started this podcast. It's also the fifth month in a row where I met my goal of writing in at least 24 days. I spent 29.25 hours writing in February. Compared to January, my word count decreased by 23%, and my writing time decreased by 13%. This week I took a break from working on the Natasha story. I've been using most of my free time on the Honor Bound project since April of last year, and I could feel myself starting to burn out a little. So I dialed back on the writing time, spread out my production of the podcast over several days, and used the extra free time to dive back into one of my favorite fictional universes. I started replaying the Mass Effect trilogy from the beginning. I don't talk a lot about my non-writing pastimes on this show, and that's fair enough, because this is a writing podcast. But I do want to take a minute here to praise the folks at Bioware for the fabulous storytelling that they did with these games. Going back to the first game after all these years, I can see the ways that they seeded in a lot of the plot points that they would be using later in the series. I continue to be astonished by the depth of the lore that they built into the setting. There's hours of backstory there for you to delve into, if you want it. There's moral ambiguity and complicated history behind all of the major species, and their interactions with one another. But the best part was seeing Commander Shepard meet all of her now-familiar companions for the first time, and watching how those relationships developed. It's been about five years since I last played one of these games, and I've fallen in love with them all over again. And frankly, after a year of writing in just about every spare moment— 
it's just really nice to sink into somebody else's story world for a while. When I was writing this week, I spent the time on planning where Natasha's story is going. I had jumped into this story with only the roughest idea of what it was going to be about, and as a result, I ended up writing a lot of words that aren't going to make it into the final draft. Pressing pause on the writing this week allowed me to map out the kind of story I want to tell, the themes and moments that are meaningful to me. I'm hoping that means that when I return to writing it, I'll be able to use the time a lot more efficiently. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2021 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.